Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Folks, the way to get me to talk shorter is for you to talk more. Amen? So I'm just trying to help you out. Philippians chapter 2. All right. Well, that's great. I was excited about the, the group of folks we had today. Got a good number of visitors here. And just thank God for the effort that was put into that by a number of folks. We're going to be continuing to talk about discipleship tonight, Philippians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and stand together in reverence to the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up with verse number 19. The Bible says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Verse 22, But ye know... The proof of him that as a son with the father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your people. God, I ask that, Lord, our hearts would be knit together to you, Lord. I ask that your, your mind, your heart would, be, would just, just beat inside of our chest and in our minds. I ask that, Lord, we'd be, be willing and open to do what, Lord, you have us to do. And I ask that we not uh, walk away from the will of God, but, but eagerly uh, uh, and with great excitement uh, latch on and, and pursue it with all of our beings. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, tonight I want to I take a few moments and we're going to continue with this topic of discipleship and I feel like my notes are just a little bit disjointed so forgive me for that and I'll do the best I can to smooth them out. But I want to point some I found rather amusing here in Philippians chapter 2 in verse number 19. You see what Paul refers to Timothy as? Timotheus. You know it's only parents who use the proper name. You know, you see down there a couple later, verses later, it says, but you know of pr a proof of him that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And it may, it's amazing, you know, mom and dads, they use the complete name, amen? Nobody's ever called me Andrew except my parents or people who didn't know me. But, <clears throat> amen, when you got that, you knew it was serious, yeah? I mean, my brother Ted Theodore, when I heard Theodore Joel Dahl, I said, praise God, he's going to get it. But here we see Paul, and he's saying, hey, I've got Timotheus, and I'm going to say, and there's a serious sense here, and Paul is referring to his son in the faith, Timothy. But what I want you to look at here, in verse number 20, it says, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. My goal is to teach others, as far as discipleship is concerned, what Christ through the Holy Spirit has taught me. I am an imperfect teacher, okay? And I want to say this tonight. If you are going to mentor someone or disciple them, you will be an imperfect teacher. There was only one perfect mentor or master. That was Jesus Christ, the only perfect man ever to walk the face of this planet. But, my friend, you are going to very simply teach what God has taught you through the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And, and let's, let's be honest. Um, there's only two ways that you learn. You learn, number one, by experience. And experience, let me say this, we do not have enough time or a hard enough head to learn everything by experience. Do you, do you understand that? I mean, how, how, how many of how many you ever learned not to drive over the speed limit the hard way? 
there's more than you that have gotten tickets for speeding. John, just start naming them one by one. I mean, we, many of us have learned to drive the speed limit by experience. Amen? Oh, my goodness. I'm innocent until proven guilty. All right, I can look up your record online. Mike Hager, I can't believe you. What? 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 You are a truck driver. Don't lie in front of the church. Good night. I never got a speeding ticket. Thank you. Let me clarify. All right. Very good. Ah. But we have, we have all learned things the hard way, have we not? How, how many of you have ever found out that you should not play with fire? There you go. Now we got some more people participating because they don't think they're going to get in trouble for it. All right. Now, we, we've played with fire, and guess what happened? You got burnt. Amen. And I, got, I love to play with fire, and I've been burned so many times. Some people just never learn, amen? I, my head's not hard enough. But, but boy, there's experience there, and I've, I've learned some things through experience. But quite honestly, folks, I don't have enough time to learn everything that way. And, and there are some things I don't want to learn that way, amen? Yeah, okay. But the second way we learn is through wisdom. And, and wisdom is the easiest, it's the pain, most painless, and the quickest way to learn a lesson. You see, when I learn by wisdom, I am stealing knowledge from the Word of God or I am stealing knowledge from someone who has already gone down that path ahead of me. And that's, that's a very smart way to learn. It's, it's, it's the way that says, you know, that guy fell in that hole, so I'm not going to. That makes sense, amen? But isn't it amazing how many of us are determined to make the same mistakes that the people right in front of us make? Yeah? I mean, it's almost, it's almost incredible to watch as people say, no, 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 I'm not learning by wisdom. I must learn by experience. And shame on us. But if you're going to learn, you're going to learn one of those two ways. But let me, let me go back to what I was talking about here. See, my goal is to teach others what Christ through the Holy Spirit has taught me. Now, some of it I've learned by wisdom. Praise God. Some of it I've learned by experience. And I don't praise God quite as much for that, although I've learned. Now, if I'm going to teach someone else and understand this, this means I must have something they want. The Christian schoolroom is not performed in a traditional school building. You do not have a teacher that lectures and then grades. No, you don't have that luxury. The Christian classroom is life, and life grades. And I hope you understand that. See, folks, if I want to disciple someone, i got to have something they want. They have to be able to look at my life and say, that guy has something about him that I'd sure like to learn something about. And I don't mean that you have a perfect life. I mean you have something in your life that is dynamic. And again, I, I'm not looking for dynamic personalities. I'm not looking for people that are over the top. I'm looking for people that have something real. Folks, it amazes me, but if you have something real and something true and something genuine and it does something in your life, people are just automatically attracted like to that. I mean, it's almost, it's almost magnetic in the sense that people say, there's something about him or there's something about her that I want to know. 
He has a Christian life. He has a marriage. She has children. They have this. They have that. And I want what they have. If you are going to disciple someone, you've got to first have something that other people want. I hope you understand that. See, for most mature, and I've put mature Christians in in, in parentheses, you've lost your zeal a long time ago. Your Christian life has lost the excitement that it once had. Do you remember when God's mercies were new every morning? Newsflash, it hasn't changed. Alright? You've just grown accustomed to them. Do you know that you're still as saved today as the day that you got on your knees and and, and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Yet our salvation in many of our lives has grown very stale and very old. Something's wrong. You see, if, if you want to disciple someone, you have to have something they want. And for many of us, folks, I'm sorry, but people look at us and say, <laughs> no, don't want that. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to go down deep and come up dry and dusty. I don't want that. I want something that is alive and something that is real. Do, do, you, do you know why the, the modern church movement, we got all this foolishness coming along and coming down the pike, but can I tell you what they have? They have something that is exciting and that people are genuinely excited about. Now, they're, they're, they're excited about fool's gold. All right? I mean, this, the, the, the modern church movement we're seeing is very scary biblically. It truly is. We see things creeping into the church, creeping into doctrine, creeping into our culture that have no business being there as far as the Scriptures are concerned. But it's happening because people are saying, Woo! Now again, they're following fool's gold. And when they get to the end of the rainbow, they're going to find nothing in the pot. But would you get a hold of something here? See, they have said, we really are excited about it. Christian, you have something tonight to be excited about. You have something that is real and something that is true. You have something that that trumps everything the world has to offer. Yet in many of our lives, we've become so mature, we have lost the wonder of it all. And so people get saved, they get baptized, and they say, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that. And they're instantly drawn to something that has some excitement to it. And again, I'm not, I'm not for changing church. I'm not for changing how we do things. What I am for doing is individually people getting excited about God and getting ready to serve Him. I remember when I was in Bible college, and at that time, uh, Dr. Jack Hiles was still alive. And he was the chancellor of the college, and I think he was in his 70s at that time. An old man. An old man. But, but we, had, we had Spirit Week, and that was one of those dumb things that schools and colleges do. We have a Spirit Week here, and Brother Dahl puts it on every year, and the kids go crazy. I mean, they just love it. They just eat it up. And I remember in chapel that day, the speakers, all the men on the platform, and I think there were six guys on the platform, they had a, they had a relay race around the auditorium, and Brother Hiles was in his 70s. And I remember all of a sudden they started, and that guy took off as fast as he could. Now, this was an old man. But he ran with all the vim and all the vigor of a young man. And, and boy, I remember as a college-age kid, we, we cheered and we hollered and we screamed. We thought it was the greatest thing. You know why? Because he got excited about a stupid relay race for college kids. But, you know, we looked at that and said, man, that's awesome. Christian, can I just say this? And I'm, I'm not telling you to run a relay race tonight, okay? What I am trying to tell you is in your Christian life, is there still something that creates excitement and exuberance for you? 
got a couple nodding, but folks, some of you just say, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, praise the Lord. God is good. What's wrong with us? I mean, shame on us if that's our, if our testimony shows that. You see, we don't want to get so deep, we forget to apply things practically. How many of you knew that God's word applies to my life? You know, some people look at it and say, huh, mm-hmm, don't get it. Um, I was in my office, and I, I read Christian books. I, tr- I try to educate myself, and I think we ought to. I think we ought to educate ourselves and become more intelligent. But I was reading a book of theology and doctrine. And let me give you some of the words, and then I'll tell you what they mean. And, 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 and just, just, let me, just let me say this, okay? It, I, I don't want to learn things spiritually so I can sound smart. I want to learn things spiritually so I can apply them to my life and help apply them to someone else's life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not saying dumb it down, okay? I'm not for taking the Word of God and, and trying to dumb the language down and, and dumb the truths down. I just, I, just, I just don't want us to get so into it that we create things to make us look intelligent. Let, let me give you a few words that have been created for Bible terms. The term eschatology. Does anybody know what that means? I got one. I got two. I got three hands. That is the doctrine of the what? The last things. Mikey, you didn't raise your, didn't Mike raise his hand? Okay, good, okay. I was going to say, Pat, if he didn't, you smack him, all right? We're in school now, okay? Mike, you raise your hand. Now, the doctrine of the last things. Now, wouldn't it just be easier to say it's the doctrine of the last things? Well, that's, that's not deep. I know it's not deep, but it's, it's what it is. Let me give you another one. How many of you know what the doctrine of pneumatology is? Numbers. <laughs> No, it's not. Tim? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the doctrine of the study of the Holy Spirit. Huh. Now, folks, what I'm trying to get at is, is I've, heard, I've heard preachers get up, and they'll use these terms, and you know what we do? We go, man, that guy knows a lot, and i got no idea what he's talking about. But sometimes that's what we like to feel. We like to feel, well, I'm, I am on a religious plane that you're not. C- can I tell you, that is not what people want. People look at that and say, Psh. Do, do you know what people want? Turn on a ball game sometime. Do you want, you, they, they want people who are genuinely excited about something. Now, they may not understand it. They may not get it. But that excitement is contagious, and it grabs them, and it pulls them in. Christian, that's what we need. Let me throw a few more out at you. Here, we got the doctrine of anthropology. What does that mean? You're running out of hands here. Kenny? You're close. It's the study of man, doctrine of man. We got the study of soteriology. Did I say that right? I I had to double check that. I I was going to say it a different way. You know what that's the study of? This one's important. Salvation. Now, folks, what I'm trying to say here is, is if you are going to reach people, you have to have something they can grab hold of. And you say, well, well, pastor, that word is fancy. I know that word is fancy, but it doesn't apply. And when I knock on a door or I go to make a visit to someone who's visited for the first time, I'm not going to go over them and say, well, let me talk to you about ecclesiology. Huh. Okay. Can you leave first? 
I mean, I, 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 want, I want them to grab hold. That's, that's the study of the church, doctrine of the church, okay? Now, folks, I need to put it on a level where it can be grabbed. That is something that is important. So i got to have something that people want. And, and let me say this. Folks, we need, to, we need to be able to prove it's real. If that's the way you talk and you use those terms, then go for it. If that's the way you really talk. But make it real. Don't try to be something that you're not to impress someone that doesn't get it. See, the only one who will buy that is you. When a Christian looks at me, I don't want them to say, oh, wow, their life is alive. Brother Dahl, I stopped down in his Sunday school class for a few moments this morning. I was one of 67, amen? And, and I heard him say, and I love the statement. He, he, said, he said, you are looking at a man who loves the Christian life. And I think if you know Brother Dahl, you kind of know that he does love the Christian life. And the unchristian, I'm teasing, he loves the Christian life. I mean, he, he loves it. He, 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 he enjoys life a lot. And Christian, what is wrong with us? See, that should be our testimony in our community. That should be our testimony in our home and in our job. That should be our testimony in our family reunions. That I am a person who enjoys the Christian life. I don't have to be a dead, dusty Baptist. I can be alive in Christ. I can be excited. I can be raring to go for Jesus. I heard a guy talk about this recently. And he said when people say amen in the church, most people think that's for people who don't know better. But can I tell you that amen is for people who do know better? Don't we? I mean, we've grown to think, well, (laughs) he's new. He said amen. Oh, he's... His mind is just, he's not on my level, so he said amen. No, no, no. Amen means so be it. And so when somebody says something that lines up with Scripture and you say amen, that means I know what you're talking about and so be it. Do you understand that? I mean, folks, we've, we've got, we've, pastor, no, seriously. Do you want people saying amen? That might disrupt my sleep. I know. I mean, you're terrified. Oh, my goodness. What will we be? We'll be a people who are glorifying and edifying the Word of God. Now, if, somebody, if the pastor or speaker says something that's not in the Word of God, say, that's not the way it is. But if, boy, if someone lifts up the name of Christ, if someone glorifies the name of God, folks, church, we ought to have a group of people who say, that's right, amen, amen. Amen. I'm not saying for you to get up and be all crazy and wild. And not, We're from Wisconsin, okay? It's not in our blood. I get that. But you know what? We could say amen. You, you could say it under your breath. Amen. That's good. Amen. And we got, it's, it's, folks, it's just, it's just crazy to me. I mean, instead, though, we'll just look blankly. No, we, we got to have something that people want. I want someone to look at my Christian life and say, that is contagious because they have something I'd really like to have. Oh, I wish we'd grab hold of that. I really do. Let me move on here because I'm not getting anywhere with that. But I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Because, folks, your Christian life, it ought to be something that is dynamic. I mean, you, you have the God of gods, the creator of the universe, the savior of mankind in your life. And if you get more excited about the Packers or, God forbid, the Bears, you are not right with God if you're more excited about those things than you are the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm serious. 
We get, if you get more excited about your raise or you get more excited about your retirement or you get more excited about the president or, or the, the politicians, then shame on you. That ought not to be. Heaven help us, folks. We as Christians have lost the ability to look up and say, praise God, man. He is real and he's genuine because I know he's in my life. Well, I hope they see that in you. And folks, don't make them look hard for Pete's sakes. All right? I hope nobody ever knocks on my door and has to try to witness to me for, them to, for me to say, uh, I'm born again. I mean, I hope they just know, yeah, you don't need to knock on that guy's door. He's saved. We're going to talk about the method tonight, the method of discipleship. And I've got a lot of points, and we're not going to get through all these tonight, so we'll, we'll stop when the time's up. But the method, and I've previously mentioned this, but the method of discipleship is that of a father-son or mother-daughter relationship. Um, you can write this down. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 talks about it. Um, I, don't, I do not believe it is wise to have a mature man teach an immature young lady. Just, just not a good idea. All right? And Titus 2 talks about that. Now, I'm not against a husband and a wife, okay? You, you know, that, that's, that's what happened with Apollos. Apollos was discipled by who? Okay, Aquila and Priscilla. A husband and wife team. But they did not take, Aquila, Priscilla did not take Apollos and say, let me disciple you. No, she had her husband there. And so I think Titus 2, 1 through 7, it says that the aged women should teach the younger women. And it also goes on to talk about, so, so then the men should be likewise, all right? The older men or the more mature men should teach the younger men, all right? And I really don't believe it's wise for, 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 for a man to teach a young woman or for an, a woman to teach a younger man. It, 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 could lead, it leads to problems. It leads to, to, to improprieties that we don't even want mentioned in the church. But it should be a father-son or mother-daughter relationship. If you've got your Bibles, I do want you to go to this one. Go to 3 John. And with this one, we'll jump into our points for tonight. 3 John and verse number 4. 3 John and verse number 4. There's only one chapter there. If you want to go home tonight and be spiritual, you can read one whole book of the Bible. It's 14 verses long. But 3 John, verse number 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let's read it one more time. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Can I say this, Christian, tonight? If you disciple someone, you are discipling them or training them to take your place in an area. Okay? See, you, you are not to train someone to keep them and push them away from you. You are to train someone to take a part of your ministry. Do you understand that's what the Apostle Paul did in the text we read tonight? He said, I'm going to send my son Timotheus to you because I have no man like-minded who can do that job. See, Paul said, I'd like to come to you, but I cannot. But I do have a man that is like-minded that would do things just the way I would do them if I were there. And let me send Timothy to you. 
Now understand, in Philippians 2, that's what he says. If you go back a few verses to verse number 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. See, Paul said, I have the mind of Christ, and I've taught the mind of Christ to a man by the name of Timothy. And so I'm not saying I want him to do it my way. I want him to do it his way. That's what Paul was doing with Timothy. And he said, when I send him to you, he's going to do things the way that I would do it, which is the way he would do it. And I pray that you understand that, folks, there comes a point in your life where if God gives you the grace and God gives you the ability and you have a Christian life that people desire, you are not going to have time to do everything that you want to do. You are going to have to be able to have someone that you have trained up, that you have, that you have birthed in the Lord, that you have brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you have helped get in the baptistry, that you have developed and trained to serve God that's going to take your place. You've got to have that. You've got to have somebody who can take care of those areas because if you don't, my friend, you are making a grave mistake. And the Apostle John said here, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Hey, John, where did those people hear that truth? From me. I'm the one who taught them. I'm the one who led them to the Lord. I am the one that taught them how to win a soul. I'm the one that taught them how to, taught, how to read the word. I'm the one who taught them how to pray. And I have no greater joy than, than to hear that my children walk in truth or are actively pursuing the things that I taught them to do that the Holy Spirit taught me to do through Jesus Christ. Do you follow that? That's, that's what we're trying to disciple people to do is to take my place in some areas. That's what I'm supposed to do. I hope you understand that because, folks, sometimes we get jealous and we want to push people and say, no, 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 this is, this is all mine. No, it's not all yours, okay? It's, if you're in the ministry for Jesus Christ, it's all his. And you have no right to dictate or to, 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 to dominate certain areas. You are to be willing to train others to take your place in specific areas. And I'm not saying to totally replace you at that given time. That'll happen when God takes you home. But to train them to take over specific areas. I want to say this number one tonight. And I've said a lot already. But the method. Number one, it's going to take time. Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter number 20. In Acts chapter number 20, we have the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders as he is on his way to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter number 20, in verse number 31, he says, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now Paul had gone to this church, or gone to this city. He had built a church upon, upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. He had brought these people to the saving knowledge. He had developed these people. He had grown these people. He had matured these people. And he said, it took me three years to do it. Now, it's going to take time. It's going to take your time. The method of discipleship, number one, is time. You must invest your time. You cannot discipleship someone by not being there. And let me say, a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight can be directly related to parenting, okay? Discipleship is nothing more than, 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 a, than a fancy name for parenting or rearing someone to serve God. I hope you follow that. And so tonight, parents and grandparents, if you're listening, a lot of these things can be just directly translated to your child's life as far as you're concerned. But you need to spend time with them. You must spend time. And folks, let's be honest. Aren't we all busy? 
We've all got things going on. We've all got places we got to be. Can I tell you, though, if you're going to disciple someone, you're going to have to invest time. Time. It's going to take that from you. Now, the Apostle Paul here took three years for the church in Ephesus, and I found this rather, rather interesting. How long was Jesus Christ with his, with, with his disciples? Three years, all right? And I thought, well, that, that's kind of a neat little number there, and I'm not saying it's going to take that long or going to take, take longer. I, I don't know, but, but three years. Paul said, I was three years with you. Jesus was with, his, was with his disciples. Three years. He said, I have discipled you. I have trained you. I have taught you. A Christian, that's, that's, a, that's a big chunk of time, isn't it? I mean, three years to, to, to sit by them in church. Three years to go visiting with them on a Thursday night or a Saturday. Three years to have them in my home and to eat. Three years to fellowship and to labor and to work to help them serve Christ. That's a huge commitment, is it not? I mean, I looked at that and I thought, you know, I've, I've, I've given 18 years of my life to my kids, but they are my kids, amen? I mean, they're what God gave me. But somebody else wants three years of my time. I say, whoa, I don't know about that. Let's hold things on. Yeah, I mean, let's hold them up here. I just, I got to think about this. Folks, it's going to take time. You say, boy, I don't, I don't understand why they aren't getting it. Paul, I'm sure, said that many times over a course of three years. Do you understand? It took time. And Christian, the method of discipleship, number one, is to invest your time. Secondly, it's to be patient in long-suffering. If you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to jump my coat off here. I am burning up. Anybody else warm? Man, I'm just blazing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You turned on the heater? You turned off the air. Thank you, Laura. What a sweetheart. All right, so if you're warm tonight, it is Laura Moore's fault. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I used this verse a couple weeks ago, but the Bible says in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also your own souls, because you were dear unto us. You are going to have to be patient in long-suffering. I was, I was looking at this the other day, and I, I don't know why it came to mind, but in Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. And when we always say the fruit of the Spirit, we start out with the first three. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and we stop. Do you know what the fourth one is? Do you know why nobody says that one? Because nobody wants to do that one. Amen? I love love. I love joy. I love peace. But bless God, I don't want to be long-suffering. I just not part, of my, not, not part of my personality. And I think for a lot of us, we don't really do well with patience because we are Americans. Amen? We want it our way right away at Burger King now. I mean, that's just our model. We live by that. Give it to me the way I want it and give it to me now. I want it. Give it. It is. I mean, just you talk to people. And they, 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 we have, as, as a culture, we're very impatient. Well, discipling someone, you're going to have to be very patient in long-suffering with them. You're going to have to put up with their failures. And failures. And failures. And so on. See, they're, 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 they're a baby. They're, they're, they're a young person in Christ. They've got to mature. And do you know what I know about young people? They don't know much. Right? I mean, parents, grandparents, and I'm not saying this to, to, to hurt your kids, but your kids don't know a lot. You know why? They don't have experience, number one. Number two, they haven't learned an awful lot by wisdom because you're living proof of that. Amen? I mean, let's just face it. You, 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 you have got to be patient with them. Man, they're going to break your heart. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. But through that, you're going to have to be patient. 
You're going to have to be long-suffering. You're going to have to say, okay, you failed. Now let's get up and let's try it again. It's the old, you know, the, 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 the learn and ride the bike thing. They're going to fall and they're going to fall and they're going to fall and they're going to fall. And let me say this. If you disciple more than one, some are going to get certain things quicker than others. And so don't be frustrated when you have the dunce of the class personally in your life. Right? There's some people you're going to look at and say, my goodness, we talked about this. I told you not to talk to your wife that way. Why? And you're going to have to sit down and teach them and train them and love them and be patient with them. Be patient. And that, again, for many of us, that's not our personality. Many of us, and I, again, I'm the first to admit this, I don't do well with patience. That's not the way I am. I mean, I want to run right into something and say, let's get her done, let's get out of here, and let's go home. Right? You get it? You're with me? And then you got this guy in the back saying, no. No, I want to take my time. I don't want to take my time. I mean, there are certain people that I don't like to work with. Jim Faulkner, you know what I mean. I mean, there are certain people, we've talked about it before, and God love them, they're good at it, but they take forever. I don't like meticulous. I want to throw it in, throw it down, and go home. You understand? But when I'm dealing with a person, I don't have that luxury. I don't have the luxury of saying, okay, get out. Now, we're working building a roof together or building a house. I can tell them, get lost. I'm doing it my way. But I don't have that luxury when I'm dealing with someone's life. I must be patient and long-suffering. Thirdly, let me say this. You must have temperance and self-control. Acts chapter 20, again, I want to take you back there, and we'll be in Acts a lot, and we'll finish up with this point tonight. Acts chapter 20, we've got a couple verses we'll look at for it, though. It says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Folks, don't you think after two months, Paul got a little sick and tired of saying the same thing. But he had self-control. He was guided by temperance. And, and can I say this? Let me throw another word in here. He had stability. See, Paul said, I'm going to be there until you get it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. You and I may have some very frank discussions from time to time. And I may be very hard on you, and I might chasten you, but I'm not going anywhere. That's hard. That's very hard. And boy, I struggle with that even in my own life. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, Moreover, in stewards or servants, it is required that a man be found faithful. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much that you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You need to learn to be stable, and that takes self-control. See, Christian, I am not the rock that the church was built on, but I am built upon the rock. All right? My feet are upon the rock. And so if that's the case in my Christian life, I'm going to have some self-control. I'm not going to go come off half-cocked all the time, losing my mind, screaming, absolutely being a terrible detriment to the service of Christ. I'm going to be able to say, no, this is the way it is, and I'm going to stay the course. There's going to be some stability here. You have something you can depend on. And Christian, tonight, if you are properly going to disciple someone, you must have some self-control. You've got to be able to have the Holy Spirit of God in charge of your spirit. And we lack in this. 
again, and this is real, really closely related to the last point with patience and long-suffering, but I believe this takes it a step further. Because sometimes when I, I am patient, what that means is I get away from them. <laughs> All right? But this means I'm stable and I'm there. I'm not going to go anywhere. You know, and, and can I just say this to you? Parents, that means so much to your kids. Mom and dad, you're going to have struggles. You're going to have problems. You're going to have bad days. But you just be there. You just be there until the Lord takes you home. You keep that marriage together. Don't throw in the towel. It breaks my heart, folks. You know, it, it, it. we got people just throwing in the towel after 15, 20, 30 years. And you look at it and you say, what in the world are you doing? Well, our kids are grown and gone now. You don't get it. They need stability in life. And that Christian that is brand new in the Lord, you know what they need to know? You're always going to be there. See, when you start being undependable, it gives them a gap. Shoot out into sin. Because they look at you and say, you don't believe it either. You've got to stand strong. You've got to stay the course. There's going to be people that you work with and you disciple that are going to go off into sin, but by the grace of God, one day they're going to come back. And you know what they need to see first? You out front meeting them in the driveway saying, praise God, you're home. That's what they need to see. Stability. They need to see somebody who's just, because folks, let's face it, our world doesn't have it. I mean, we, we, we change jobs, we change spouses, we change everything in our culture. I mean, it's just the way it is. If we don't like it, we just get rid of it and try something new. That, but, 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 but you know what? Truth be told, if the reason they do that is because people are looking for something real. Well, the, the something real is the Word of God. You know, the, the verse in Malachi says, I am the Lord God, I change not. You know what that tells me? I got stability with God. I can have the worst day of my life. Everything can fall out around, around me. He's there and he hasn't changed a lick. That gives me something I can grab hold of. And folks, in your Christian life, if you're going to disciple someone, you've got to have some self-control that says, no, I'm not going anywhere. You can depend on that. I love you. That'll never change. I'm going to be hard on you. I'm going to disagree with you. But I am always going to be here. If you're going to disciple people, you've got to have that. You can't get up and walk out and say, well, I'm never coming back again. Forget you. Forget everybody. I'm done. Do you know when you do that, you take people with you? They walk right out, never to return. They say, because the person I learned from quit. Huh. Me too. We've got to have self-control. We've got to have that in our lives. Paul said, I cease not to warn you for three years, night and day. I got to tell you, man, that'd get old, wouldn't it? I mean, every day, every night, just saying the same thing over and over and over again. But he was always there. And those people knew it. And those people loved him. When, when Paul left, they wept because he was going to Jerusalem. They said, don't go, please don't go. Christian, in your life, you got to have something inside of you that says, I'm on the rock. I'm stable. I have temperance. The storms of life aren't going to sway me. I know I, I, I'm not as... See, folks, you know what young Christians lean on? And, and, and please don't take this the wrong way. But young Christians 
a lot of them, they haven't learned to lean on the Lord like they need to. And so you know what they look for? They look for the second best thing. They look for someone who knows how to lean on the Lord. And they say, you're stable. <laughs> Can I lean here for a while? Yeah. Let me tell you about one who's more stable and dependable than I. I have bad days sometimes. He never does. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Folks, can I tell you this? One day, regardless of how stable you are, you will be gone. You got to push him to Christ. But to do that, you got to be stable. I have self-control. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, I, things are hard right now. Pastor, things are hard right now, but I'm not going anywhere. Hey, hey, I'm working with you. Don't, don't worry. I, I'm going through a hard time right now. Work's messing me all over the place. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I will be here. Don't worry. That dependability, that stability does so much for young people in the home and young Christians in the faith. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. time for a quick invitation tonight, just a couple of verses. But folks, what, what I'm talking about is something that just beats so hard on my heart right now. I'm trying to, 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 to give you some of the things I've learned, and I don't do them perfectly, I know that, but I'm trying to give you some things that I've learned in my Christian walk and dealing with other people. I'm trying to give them very broad principles so they can be applied. Please tonight, grab hold of this. Christian in your life, have something that a new Christian looks at and says, I want it. I don't understand it. But man, they just, they just glow for Christ, you know, like Moses did when he came off the mountain. He just knew he'd been with God. I beg you, have that. And then take some of these things we spoke of tonight with the methods and apply them practically. As the instruments begin to play, if the Lord's laid something on your heart, you come to the altar.
right, well, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. So good to have you tonight. Folks, thank you for being in the service. Don't forget next Sunday, Anniversary Sunday.